so we're looking, we've been considering this, this idea of defeaters, meaning these different beliefs that we hold on to that prevent us from really learning how to walk and how to um, walk with Jesus in more robust ways, to have our hearts come alive more to who He is and what He's doing in our world. And um, the topic at hand today that I want to look at is something that is incredibly prevalent in the lives of Westerners, squeezing in a little bit, in the lives of Americans, squeezing in a little bit, especially in the lives of college students, as it relates to Christianity. And I'm, t- I'm titling this the Lo- Lone Ranger Christianity. What is Lone Ranger Christianity? Here it is. Lone Ranger Christianity is the belief that the best thing for my spiritual good and growth is that I just focus on my relationship with Jesus. Some of y'all are going, what? What did he just say? Now, this is broadly defined, I realize that, but it means that the important thing for my growth as a Christian is basically around this question of how am I doing with God? Now, why is this mentality so problematic for you as a Christian? Okay, Maybe take pause. A lot of what's going to be said tonight deals with Christians, okay? But a lot of what the problem with this mentality, of the Lone Ranger mentality is this. First of all, not only does it often lead to unhealthy levels of self-examination and introspection, where you're always feeling beat up, where you're always feeling like you have to try harder, where you're always feeling like fill in the blank, and then you feel defeated all the time. It also, sadly, over time, creates this, an incredibly lonely and isolated Christian. It cuts you off from the thing that you need most. It cuts you off from the fountain, so to spring, so to, so to speak. So it can also lead to isolation. Well, so how does this text then, this text that we just looked at, address this, this issue? Well, I want to get you to consider a question first. First of all, have you ever thought about mission, a mission statement? Okay, like your university's got one, the businesses you work with have got one. A mission statement. What is it? We've talked about this in our ministry team before, that we say, we've got a mission statement, and by it, we examine and we determine everything that we do. It is the bar. And if it's our U.S. mission statement of to reach students for Christ and equip them to serve, if we're not doing that, we abandon it. Does that make sense? And you can talk to your ministry team and ask them about it, and that's what we do. And everything that we do do, we want to make sure aligns with that. Well, listen to some of these uh, mission statements from companies that you've probably heard of. And I want you to tell me if you can, uh, this is like feedback. Y'all tell me if you think, you know, I got six or eight of them, so hang with me. Here's this company's mission statement. They're all popular. They're, you've all heard of them. To bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete, asterisk, in the world. Here's what the asterisk says. If you're a body, you're an a- if you have a body, you're an athlete. So who is that? To bring inspiration and innovation to every athlete in the world. Does anybody know? Nike, you got it. Here we go. Here's another one. Our vision is to be Earth's most customer-centric company, to build a place where people can come and find and discover anything they might want to buy online. Amazon. You got it. Okay, good. They're working, okay? How about this one? This is their mission statement. To make people happy. 
Disney, you got it. Isn't that crazy? That's their mission statement. If we're not doing it, if we're not, that's the whole measure. Listen to this one. Okay. To give ordinary folk the chance to buy the same thing as rich people. Walmart. Man, y'all are good. That's Walmart. Okay, here we go. Now, if you don't know this one, I'd be really surprised. I have to leave out the company name, but blank is committed to bringing the best personal computing experience to students, educators, creative professionals, and customers and consumers around the world through its innovative hardware, software, and internet offerings. Anybody want to take a stab? Yeah, Mac, Apple, exactly. And then I think it's the last one. No, there's two more. Okay, blank, blank's brand mission is to be our customers, I love this, favorite place and way to eat. Read it again. Blank's brand mission is to be our customer's favorite place and way to eat. A little bit tricky, but you've heard of them. He said, did you say yo? It's not yo. A little bit bigger company. The Golden Arches, that's McDonald's. I love it. It's a particular way of eating. It's not just what it is, a particular way. And then here we go. Uh, I'll give you one more. Okay, you guys, if you don't get this, then I don't know who you are. Blank's mission is to give people the power to share and make the world more open and connected. Who? I heard it. I heard it. I heard it in there. It's Facebook. Exactly right. Isn't that crazy? So, mission statements are about what companies or organizations set out to do. I've told you RUFs, but mission statements exist to give organizations, businesses, teams, individuals focus. They convey the why do we exist behind every entity. In other words, They answer the reason why organizations and individuals do what they do. And I just asked you a question a second ago. What does this text have to do with Lone Ranger Christianity? Well, let me give you another mission statement. Are you ready? I will build my church. Do you know whose mission statement that is? That's Jesus's. The whole thing he's about. The whole kit and caboodle he's about is that he says, I will build my church. You see, Jesus' whole reason for coming was to make a people. It was to build a church. It was to build a community for himself. And this mission, this mission of Christ, has everything to do with Lone Ranger Christianity. How it says more or less that there is no room whatsoever for Lone Ranger Christianity. This idea of everything is about me and Jesus and nobody else in my mission. John Wesley, the founder of uh, Methodism, put it this way. He says, the Bible knows nothing, nothing of solitary religion. Nothing. In other words, Jesus' very mission, that is the thing with which he's most concerned, is to build a unique sort of community here on earth that exists for His own glory. And this community in the Bible, y'all, is referred to as the church. Now we're going to take a look at what that means. But really, I'm going to look at one verse tonight. That's it. 
I wanted to read it in context. We're going to center in on Matthew 16, 18. I'll read it for us again. It says this, And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. What do we see? Three particular things. First, there it is. What it is. What is the church? What is this community? Two, why we don't like it. And then three, why we so desperately need it. I'm going to try to be brief with these. But first, what is the church? Okay, a couple of things. Usually when you hear that word church, a couple of things get stirred in your mind. And it gets confusing. Are we talking about bricks and mortar? Are we talking about a building? You know, is that what we're talking about? Are we talking about, you know, what actually happens? Like I'm going to go to church on Sundays or Wednesdays or whatever else it is. And actually, what Jesus says here is that it's something entirely different. Now, before I tell you what it is, I want to help us give some categories. Usually, the church is defined in terms of what it does, okay, and then who it is. And each of those categories has two subcategories. So I'm going to give them to you real quick. First of all, what it does. You can think about the church as an institution. Okay? It's, an inst- it's a place where the Word is preached. It's a place where baptism and the Lord's Supper are offered up. And it's also a place that enacts discipline. But those are the places, that's, that is what the institutional church looks like. It's what most of y'all, if you hate church, hate. It's also, though, an organism. It is in what it does. And what it means is this. It refers to its activities in the world. That is, caring for the poor, going and doing mission trips, creating culture if you're an artist or if you're a businessman. Or whatever. Like, it's your life in the world. That's church's organism. So that's what it does. Here's also two definitions of what it is. First of all, you have what's called the invisible or universal church. This is what it is. Not what it does, but what it's like. And the universal or invisible church is defined as this. It refers to the total number across time and space of God's redeemed people. That's the definition. And then secondly, underneath what it is, we said invisible, and then we talk about visible, and that's what this is. It refers to those who profess Christianity Uh, who profess it, you know, I'm a Christian. That is the visible church, okay? Why do I have to give you all those distinctions? Because when I say church, if there's, you know, for everybody in this room, somebody's got another definition. And it's helpful for us to be able to define our terms. But I told you I was going to tell you what Jesus says it is. And look here at this text here when He says, I will build my church. What is it He refers to? Jesus is not referring to a local body. He's not referring to you know, McKinney Bible or First Baptist or First Presbyterian, but he is referring to this idea of the universal church. What is it? It is the entirety of God's people. The word church in this context is the Greek word ecclesia. You've probably heard that word before. And it literally means the the called out ones, the ones who have been brought out as it were it's like you're in a group of group a and now you've been brought out of group a and you've been put in group b and that group a if you go to john chapter 17 we hear about it that this is the world that the folks have been taken out of and now you're put in the sphere of so to speak the church why do i have to define all this in like boring theological terms because i want you to know what the church is 
Listen, if you're a Christian, you are the church. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, not you by yourself, but you as, you're, you're a topping on a pizza, so to speak. It's you and everybody else that makes up the body of believers that's a community that's called the church. And I think that we've got to really recover that idea that says that the church isn't primarily someplace where I go, though that is one definition of it. But the church is primarily who I am. Does that make sense? It's, it makes all the difference in the world. And the reason it's so important, as we'll see, is because it cuts right against the grain of this Lone Ranger Christianity. Because, very simply, here's why. You guys have got to realize that you were meant to be in community. That you weren't meant to try to do your Christian life all by yourself. And in fact, I'll go ahead and name it right now. Some of y'all in this room are dying because you're afraid of or you won't get plugged in to some sort of Christian community. You're, you're church averse. You don't, we're going to look at why, you don't, why we don't like it in just a second. But the point is, is that I just want to suggest to you that you will die spiritually if you try to do the Christian life alone. You just cannot do it. You need other people. So, I just encourage you, where might you look? Where might you find that sort of community here on campus? It doesn't have to necessarily be here on campus. Do you have a local church that you're going to? Do you have a group of people that you gather with regularly? Because this is what you need to survive. This is what you need. It's not me saying this. This is what Jesus is saying. Okay, what is, what is it? There it is. Secondly, why we don't like it. I, I could actually say this. Why you hate it. <laughs> why you hate it. When I was a kid, man, you know, I didn't, video games weren't big yet. Internet wasn't around. My parents made me go play outside in the summer all the time. And I loved my bike. It was this little cool, you know, it was my first like the wheels spinning backwards bike that I ever had. And I loved that thing, and I rode it into the ground. And from time to time, because I would like pull up to a stop sign and I didn't know how to work the handbrakes, I would try to, you know, you know what I'm talking about, where you try to stop by pushing the brake, the pedals backwards. They would rotate, and I would eventually fall off the bike and scab up, you know, scrape up my knees and my hands. And I'd have to come inside and like embedded in the palms of my hands and in my knees where I'd broken the fall was like, you know, rock gravel from the road or from the driveway or something like that. And my mom would always take my hands and she would run them underwater and that made it sting. And then she would pull out like alcohol or, you know, something else that just burned even more. And as she was cleaning this, it stung. It hurt. Why am I telling you this story? Because Christ actually says that He is the mom in that metaphorical illustration. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, it talks about how Christ comes and He washes His bride. And that's not like a bubble bath washing. 
That's not the sexy stuff of like loofahs and like nice smelling soaps and oils. It's none of that. It's like you got gravel in your palms and your knees and you need to get it clean because it's going to create an infection and it's bad stuff and you don't want it in your skin. And so somebody's got to wash it out. And what the scriptures say is is that it's actually Jesus that does that for us. So Jesus is the cleanser of the church. And I just want to say to you, the reason why you don't like this is because it's in the context of community that you feel the sting. That you get exposed. That all your dirt really does come out. The stuff that you hate about yourself. You know those decisions that you make that you're not proud of? They're now been brought out in community. And it stings. It hurts. But it's always, whenever the good physician is at work, he never whips out his scalpel to harm. He, he, he applies it to you to heal. And if any of y'all have ever had something brought to light that you're not proud of, some sin in your world, some sin in your life, be exposed. You know that it hurts. And the community of people that you're called to be with is actually going to bring that out in your life. And that you're going to act as that cleansing agent in the lives of others too. So that means we've got to be gentle too, you know. It's never a really good thing to talk about somebody else's sin and beat them over the head with it. Because you know why Jesus doesn't do that with you? I mean, imagine if the list of your sin was laid before Jesus and He was like, all right, get ready, son, here we go. You'd be dead meat. But what does He do for you if you're in Him? Isn't He gentle? Isn't He kind? Isn't He like we sang tonight that you're rich in love? That you're abounding in mercy? And so that that causes us to be the same way with people in our fraternity houses, with people in our sorority houses, with people in our business program, with people on our halls, with our friends in classes, with the people that we go to church to, that when you see real sin, when you see people's dirty laundry, that you remember your Savior and that you're gentle. Because you know how hard it would be to have that stuff brought to life like life in your life. But why do you hate it? It's because the, the stuff gets exposed. And it stings. And so you know what? It's easier just to do me and Jesus. Isn't it? It's just easier to do that. But God loves you too much to let you do that. So He speaks about it. So there we have it. Not only is what we don't, why we don't like it, there's also thirdly why we so desperately need it. Oh, you know what? Um, I missed something that I wanted to tell you. I can save it for later. It'll fit, it'll fit in the next point too. So hang with me on this. Now let's think about this. Jesus is saying that the reason that you need this is in ever so short form. Why do you need it? Answer. For your spiritual health. For your growth in grace. For your spiritual development. It's like Wesley said, the Bible knows nothing of a solitary religion. Let me put it like this way. If you think that the Christian life consists of that you can read your Bible by yourself a couple times a week and you can expect any sort of change 
or any sort of transformation in your life, let me say this gently, you're sadly mistaken. That's not how growth happens. It's not how real change happens. The real change happens in the context of being around people. Of them being able to speak into your life. Of them being able to look at your heart and look at your life and be able to talk about this. Think about it this way. The thing that Jesus is actually building, y'all, is His church. Why we need it. He is building His church. In other words, Jesus is saying, I'm not building a bunch of individual little people that relate to me like spokes and a hub of a wheel where it's Ryan like this, where it's Michael Walton like this, where it's Kelly Lurch like this, where it's Chloe like this, where it's Rachel. It, it just, that's not the picture of Christianity. It's, i got to beat that into our heads. Here's what it is. It's like, here is God. There's this massive, big old bag. And inside that bag are every Christian known to man. Every person. And they all relate to each other. And at the top of that bag is Jesus, our Redeemer. Does that make sense? The point I'm trying to make is, is the reason that you need this is because you weren't made to do the Christian life alone. You, can't, you will die. You need community. You need to be in the lives of other people. And you need other people in your life. I feel like I'm a broken record, but I'm okay saying it a thousand times tonight. I talk to a lot of college students that think that the most important thing is them getting up in the morning, reading their Bible, and praying. If you're not familiar with Christian lingo, that's often called like a devotion or a quiet time. But I'm here to tell you, those things are good. They are. But if that's all you ever do, you're going to be a you're going to be a crippled Christian limping through life. Because the Scriptures never do say you need to have a quiet time. They never say that. But you know what they do say? You need to be involved in community. Hebrews chapter 10, if you want to cite me on it. 25 and following. Do not let us give up meeting together. Do not neglect it as some are in the habit of doing. Because Jesus knows that you need other people. Why do you have a problem with it? Why do you need it? I want to mention this one thing. A lot of the lingo right now that you can hear in college campuses is this. You know what? I consider myself spiritual, fill in the blank. But what? Not Y'all ever heard that phrase? Not religious. And that is massive on the college campus because what it says is is that I like me and Jesus in some nebulous way or I like me and some other force out there in some nebulous way, but I don't like formal institutionalized religion. 
Listen to what one writer says from CNN. I don't know if this guy's a Christian or not. He says this, The spiritual but religious outlook sees the human as one that simply wants to experience, quote, nice things and, quote, feel better. There is a little of transformation here. And nothing that points to any kind of project that can inspire or transform us. At the heart of the spiritual but not religious attitude is an unwillingness to take a real position. These people will not abandon their affiliation to the sense that there is, quote, something out there. So they do not go along with a rationalist and materialistic explanation of the world in which humans are responsible to themselves and one another for their actions. Y'all, do you see what this is getting at? The, the idea of like, I want to be spiritual but not religious is so... I'm just, I mean, yeah, I might get in trouble. It's so dumb. It just lacks thought because you were never meant to go it alone. That's why you need it. 2007, a film came out that was a remake of a movie. You probably read, I mean, remake of a book that you probably have read or heard about. It's the story of Christopher McCandless. The title of the movie is called Into the Wild. And it tells the story of this very smart, bright Emory College graduate who basically sells everything that he has and travels across the United States. Additionally, he finds himself, he's traveled everywhere. He has no money. He hitchhikes around the country because what he's trying to do is to try to experience life in the wild. Well, on his last adventure, he comes to the mouth of Denali National Park in Alaska and somebody drops him off, and he literally has his backpack, and he just starts walking into the wild. He spends his, his days there hunting, trapping, picking berries, trying to live, and that sort of thing. And he tries to, it's this project of sort of self exploration, trying to find meaning and purpose in my life apart from everybody. He's trying to do it in isolation. And you know what happens? it eventually comes back to bite him. He finds out that the loneliness is too much to take. And so he decides, I'm leaving the little abandoned bus that I'm living in, and I'm going to walk back into civilization. And he comes to the river that he once crossed, and the snowmelt has caught up with him, and the river is impassable. And so he runs, he goes back to his truck where he's living. He needs more food. He finds the roots that he's been eating. He eats them and he realizes something. He's eaten the poisonous root and it is surely to claim his life. This is a true story, by the way. And sure enough, he dies there in the wilderness alone. In his journal that he really kept, he kept notes about his experience there. And some of the last words that he penned, if you've seen the movie, you saw what he wrote. And I want to leave you with this. He writes these words, happiness is only real when shared. And you know what? He's saying the exact same thing that Jesus Christ is saying. That you were not meant to do this alone. You just weren't meant to. The problem with Lone Ranger Christianity, the me and Jesus mentality, is that it's selling you a lie. 
But over time, it isolates you, and in the end, you die alone, and you die miserable. Y'all, Christ has given you to one another. He has given you community. He has called you His church. And He has done this because He loves you. Do you see, on the cross, Jesus Himself experienced the ultimate Lone Ranger Christianity. Because when He cried out to His Father, and as He looked out, where are my friends? you know where they were? Nowhere to be found. He cries out to the Father, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? Alone on the cross. He experienced the true isolation that you and me deserve. And the benefit of that is that you and me get each other. That you and me get community. I'm going to close with a little plug, and I know I'm biased, but give me one minute. My hope is that RUF would be that sort of community. There are great campus ministries on this campus. And there are a lot of good ones that you can get involved with. I would say if you don't have a place yet, or if you're looking for a place, I would love it if you would call this place home. There are bent, broken people in here that need Jesus, that are not perfect, and that we're trying to be a group of people that accept each other in the midst of their brokenness, that come as you are, and that try to point people to Christ's likeness. That's what I hope that this campus would see in RUF. And I invite you to come. I invite you to be a part. Come be broken. Come be messy with us. Yeah, it'll sting. But you know what? We need each other. And you're going to find healing here. You just will. So come. Let me pray for us. God, we need You. We need You to remind us that we cannot be an end in ourselves. And the more so that we do that, we just kill ourselves. So will You help us even now as we sing this song about what it means to be the church, your people, that you would remind us of your grace and that you would help us. We pray all this, Lord, in your name and for your name's sake. Amen.